Welcome to this podcast from the IOD Centre for Corporate Governance. I'm Chris Hodge, your Senior Advisor to the Centre. This is the first of a series of podcasts we'll be doing looking at the link between governance and innovation. The Centre launched an inquiry into the subject in June and we'll be publishing a report later in the year which will include recommendations for action addressed to companies, investors and to policymakers. Innovation, by which we mean the development and adoption of new products, services and processes, is a significant driver of growth and productivity and crucial to the transition to an economy that's more sustainable in its use of resources. Historically, the innovation performance of UK companies is very mixed, with some high-performing businesses and sectors, but a long tail of non-innovative companies. So there's a big challenge here for us, both individually as companies, but also Uh, as an economy as a whole. Now, obviously, there are many factors influencing a company's ability to innovate, but in our inquiry, we're going to be looking just at the impact of the governance of the company, the role of the board, the company culture, where innovation sits within the structure and how it's measured, and those sort of things. Two important related factors that are relevant to both innovation and to governance are the availability of capital and the attitude of the company's owners, whether they are the founder or the family, private equity or institutional investors in the case of listed companies. And that's why we decided that the first of these podcasts, it would be a good idea to get an investor view on the subject. So I'm delighted to introduce George Dallas, who is the policy director of the International Corporate Governance Network, or ICGN for short. The ICGN is an investor-led organization whose members are responsible for over 70 trillion US dollars of assets under management. So clearly an exceptionally significant organization. And in his role as policy director, George is the principal author of ICGEN's internationally recognized global governance principles for companies and global stewardship principles for investors. So he's extremely well qualified to give us an investor perspective. Welcome, George. Thanks very much for joining us today. Chris, pleasure as always. That's very nice of you to say so. Let's see if you're still saying that at the end of the podcast. Uh, Because I am going to start with... with, uh, perhaps the most challenging of the questions that I have. Uh, and it's really, uh, I mean, you will have heard many times, I'm sure, a common criticism, certainly strongly held by some people, if not necessarily widely held, that investors, whether that's shareholders in listed companies or VC firms taking stakes in private companies, tend to have a shorter-term investment horizon than the companies themselves, and that this directly or indirectly discourages companies from investing in innovation and other activities that may only deliver value in the longer term. Uh, so, so the question, I suppose, for you is, do you think this is a fair criticism? Hmm. Right. And, and firstly, it's, it's, thank you for including us on this. And, and it's an interesting question to start with. Uh, you know, you referred to our members, uh, you know, managing roughly 70 trillion US in capital, which is, you know, big chunk of the global capital market. And we haven't you know, broke, we don't have the means to, to calculate this precisely, but I think probably two thirds to three quarters of, of that 70 trillion would be either pension fund money itself or asset managers managing on behalf of pension funds. And 
as I say that to start with because it's important to establish time frame in this discussion, at least normatively. Um, I think normatively the time frame is certainly long term, if not theoretically uh, infinite. <clears throat> now, and so it, you know, but and then the, the, what you call the regular criticism of investors being so obsessed with short term returns uh, that would discourage companies from innovating. I, I think you put that so extremely that it's almost too so simplistic as to be a trope. Uh, but I don't think we should be <clears throat> dismiss the idea. I think short term is, is a problem. It's a problem for investors. It's, I would dare say it's also a, a problem for companies. And sometimes uh, I've, I've sensed that companies like to blame investors uh, for ha them having to take these types of perspectives, which I'm not sure is always necessarily fair. So I don't, I don't think we should sound defensive or, or smug at all. Again, I think this is an issue. Um, and I think that, you know, measurements and metrics are much more easy for the shorter term than the longer term. I mean, we think about 50 years time frame, but if you try to discount a cash flow in 50 years down to the present, it doesn't amount to a whole lot. So, you know, I think I think that there are uh, issues, but I think this fundamental issue, idea that investors, you know, the animal spirits of investors in financial markets, you know, quash innovation. Uh, I think that's I, I don't I don't buy that. Right. I suppose one of the. Um, ways in which there's perhaps a miscommunication around this between companies and investors is that a lot of investors are, as you say, particularly those looking after pension fund money, either directly or indirectly, obviously have a very long-term view in terms of their ability to get a, a return on their investments, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be in each individual investee company over the longer term. You know, there's the so the two the two parties' views yeah. of what is yeah, in their I, best long term interest don't always align, perhaps. But uh... no, I, that, that's an important qualification, Chris, because it, it's a bit heroic for me to stand up and say I can tell you what every investor thinks, because I can't. I, I, I can represent, I think, the institutional investor community, which, in, at the heart of that, they have, there are many strategies within that, but the heart of that would be long term asset management. But there will be hedge funds, there will be there will be different strategies where perhaps this type of exaggeration uh, may not be so exaggerated. But I, I'm, I'm suggesting that this should, this is not currently the norm with which at least the larger institutional investors are, are you know, framing. Are yeah, framing. Well, I, th I think that's fair. And certainly from my own, you know, I don't have the experience that you do, Georgia, working with investors, but increasingly, I think you're seeing those longer term perspectives have reflected in their investment strategies. And indeed, in your own uh, global yeah. governance principles, uh, which is very clear about these, these, yeah. these long-term things, and that's what I wanted to move on to next, which was uh, looking at the principles. Yeah. Uh, these are the principles that ICGN issue addressed to companies, as opposed to the, the separate principles you address to investors. Uh, and you talk in there about the board having responsibility to guide management on strategy, innovation, and risk. So it's clear, at least as far as ICGN's members are concerned, that innovation is something that you you value. Why does it matter to investors? Um, it, and is the company's innovation performance or potential uh, innovation in the future a factor when you make investment decisions or assess the, the running of the company? Sure. Well, I mean, I think most companies that investors invest in are uh, trying to compete uh, for their survival. 
in you know very challenging contexts where you know as long as you you stick to the you know obey the law there you know this can be the rules of the jungle and you know joseph joseph schumpeter speaks of creative destruction as just sort of at the essence of a market economy and you know if, if you look at it that way i think innovation is simply you know it's part of stand side by side along with good management and strategic judgment as a survival skill uh, for companies to deal with i mean that that's that's the defensive perspective or even offensively, I mean, it's also to take advantage uh, of, of you know, using innovation to advance one's cause. So I just think it's a reality that, that businesses, particularly in competitive markets, will need to demonstrate innovation as a dimension of basically their competitive position and staying power. And I think that that's best approached, and I'll, I'll probably get into this later, more on a sector by sector basis, talking about innovation in the abstract, you know, uh, it's. It, I'm not sure how far, how far you can go with that, but it, you know, in a sectoral basis, that's a critical question. And so that's the, yeah, of the sort of investors we're talking about, the ICGN members who have this longer-term perspective. That is one of the things they will look for when assessing potential investor companies and other investments. Do you think? Again, I think you got to be careful about looking at things in the abstract. I mean, uh, innovation is a hugely important concept in, in reality. So is corporate culture. So is independence. And so, you know, we yes, one looks at all these things. But again, if you just look at it, I think it needs to be tethered to something real, such as a strategic question or, or, or you know, how or the, the question of what the overall company's purpose might be. Then I think you get somewhere. And I guess my problem is I'm not sure that there is a generic way to assess or measure innovation, at least in the abstract. I mean, there are some common metrics uh, like R&D to sales that you know are used as proxies in sectors like the pharmaceutical sector. But when you're dealing with innovation, which is a you know a very complex concept, I think that you know the idea of trying to frame or box innovation into something that's readily measurable. It's a bit like quicksilver. It sort of disappears the, the, the moment you try to grab it. So I think it needs to be linked to uh, how this links to a company's competitive position within its own sector. <clears throat> and, you know, again, the pharma sector comes to mind. R R &D, that's so R&D and, and innovation intensive, but so are pretty much every other sector. Um, and I think uh, within the context of investors and an investor stewardship, those types of questions which deal more with you know, company strategy and how companies make money and position themselves competitively are more often the subject of dialogue that might take place between a portfolio manager and a company as opposed to stewardship teams, which uh, often pick up at different themes than those. Not that they should, but I, I think that that's probably in many cases how that type of question may be, and a financial analyst in an investment firm isn't going to go asking the innovation question. They're going to be asking the question, you know, how how can this company be innovative but looking at its yeah. competitive? No, that's company, from you know, not innovation for yeah. innovation, just for competitive. And that's companies. that's interesting because you'd be focused on the strategy. I think earlier in your comments, you also mentioned culture as well, and and what what we're hearing from the conversations we're having with with companies, whether they're senior manager or non-execs. The companies as part of this review is they're saying very much the same thing that if you if you want to be successfully innovative it needs to be a it needs to serve the strategy and needs to be built into the the strategy from the off you can't have it as either a separate activity uh, or try to bring it in halfway through and hope it's going to suddenly change things but also you need as the particularly as the board 
to be establishing a set of values and a culture within the organization that encourages innovative approach that is yeah. tolerant, not necessarily entirely forgiven, but tolerant of of trial and error, which inevitably will be involved in, in those sort of things. So I think it's, I think what we're hearing from company boards is pretty much what you're saying as investors, you know, you, it's difficult to th address this in the abstract, but you need to link it in with these other parts of, of what's going to make the, the company competitive and successful. Um, and, and that's the key to, to the whole thing. Yeah. I mean, you know, I don't, we don't need only innovation departments. I don't think we think we need ethics departments. I think that all needs to be embedded, you know, and yes, no, well, that's, that's, that's that, one of the other. Yeah. How you actually do that in a way that integrates it without it getting lost in the noise within the companies is another interesting session, but perhaps something for a future podcast. Yeah. I mean, going back to your principles, and I think you've, you've partly answered this already by what you were saying about the, the strategy and so on. And it, elsewhere in, in your global governance principles, you talk about the importance of dialogue with shareholders on obviously a wide range of, of issues, but one of them that one of them specifically refers to strategy, innovation, risk management and performance. So typically, and again, I appreciate there probably is no such thing as typically, what would that dialogue and engagement entail? Who, who would be involved on the company side or the investor side? And, uh, and what would you, you know, see as the most productive way of having that sort of engagement? Well, again, I, I don't think I've ever been to a, a meeting that's where the issue of innovation has been, you know, this, that, this is what we're talking about today. I think the, the issue is, you know, is whatever the company do it, how, how does innovation feature as part of it? Um, I, I, as I think I said a moment ago, and I, I you know, I, 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 I just can guess, because, <clears throat> you know, we, one can't monitor all the conversations, is that you know, a lot of the innovation discussions, again, may be more concentrated when with in, investors looking to understand, you know, the issues of how this competitive position of company X versus company Y operating in this very, you know, uh, technically challenging and competitive sector are going to be, you know, how they, they may fare in a financial sense. And I think a, a lot of that convert. So is, is, you know, is innovation happening or not to, in, a, in a commercial context? And I think that that's how it should be. Um, I'm not, I think that the issue of innovation and how that links to strategy uh, and, and you know, and broader corporate purpose, um, again, that, that's, I, I, I've, I don't think I've seen that table as, as uh, an engagement topic per se, other than the fact that, you know, it, 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 is, it is, I think, important for companies to be in a position, not necessarily to say, here's our, you know, innovation committee, because that always may not be the answer. But but here is, this is how we're approaching the topic. I think just having companies, you know, at least position, you know, statement from the high level, how 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 is the board considering that? Would if nothing else, I think you know, give good hooks to investors who may want to dig deeper on it. But I think a lot of the technical stuff, as I said, may be more granular and, and sector based types of discussions. Oh, thank you. And um, I was going down, if I may, to slightly broaden the next bit of the conversation out from just being about innovation, uh, because the latest version of your global governance principles, which came out, I think it was last year, um, have a new section about which talks a lot about the importance of capital allocation. And obviously, you know, R&D is one potential use of capital, but it's by far from being the only one. And, and I would—I thought it might be helpful just for our audience if you could 
perhaps say a little bit more about the whole issue of capital allocation, why, again, why it matters to investors, um, what sort of considerations that you expect as an investor of the board to be thinking about and, and that would give you confidence, if you like, in their, in their own stewardship of the company? Yeah, thank, I think it's, a, it's an important question. And, you know, Chris, it's one I, I'm very focused on. I mean, I, I borrow off a lot of <clears throat> my own experience as a financial analyst with Standard & Poor's during credit ratings where these types of issues were, were often discussed. And to my view, uh, capital allocation is where corporate governance and corporate finance come together. It's really where the rubber meets the road. And I don't think it's focused on enough. People talk about it a little, a lot, but I don't think it's as focused enough, uh, focused on it as much as it could be. Um, there are uh, there's issues of balance sheet efficiency. In the case of Japan, for example, I mean, there's companies are running themselves so conservatively and so inefficiently. They're they're gener they're very you know safe bets for creditors, but they're horrible bets for for equity holders and what returns on capital. Uh, and, and then, but you can also have you know uh, inefficient or balance sheets that are run aggressively, which you know also carry incumbent risks. And so, I, what I, th I think, in, and as particularly as stewardship is beginning to shift, not only to focus on shareholders but also creditors, capital allocation. And there's several dimensions to it, but one of them is simply balancing and how, how is the company articulating how it balances the interests of creditors and shareholders in terms of the overall capital structure. Um, and then, and then the point that you made about you know it, it, a huge strategic question is faced by companies and boards every year, if not on an ongoing basis. How do you divide the pie? You know your your distributable earnings. How do you between capital spending, between dividends, between executive pay and bonuses, between share repurchases, uh, recapitalization, and yes, innovation. And, and you know, but, but that if you think about it, you know, how much if you get a hundred coins to to put in, you know, to, to work with, how much do you do? We don't talk about that enough. And I think that this is huge. And my own view about this is I think we should be trying to focus on capital allocation to get a better sense on a company's economic, true economic profitability, which is weighted average returns on risk adjusted capital. And that, you know, the cost of cost uh, returns on capital versus the cost of capital. And if you look at this rigorously, you will find in many companies, they will report a nominal profit because it's above zero but they're reporting economic losses because their risk-adjusted returns are not covering their cost of capital. And I don't think we think, think enough about that. And so I think capital, the discussion of capital allocation could feed into that and, and could also then you know, put a spotlight on questions like innovation. You know, when, how do you develop your priorities you know, in terms of allocating capital if you're in a technology-intensive sector? How does how does innovation, research, and development? How does this fit into it? And I think that a clear statement of capital allocation, Chris, could potentially go a long way towards addressing some of the issues that might, you know, crop up in, in management company engagement. Actually, yeah, I think it's, it's an interesting area because um, it's one of those things where it's, it's a, it makes the the more general statements about values and strategies and approach. You have they have to come rather more concrete at that point, don't they? If you're talking about the basis on which you decided to allocate your your capital, and uh, as a discipline, I'm, I'm thinking back to things we did uh, many years ago when I was at the Financial Reporting Council, where we asked people to start reporting more on on things like their viability and and so on. And as a, as a discipline, it's sort of and the, and the business model indeed, it it sort of forces the board to sit down and think these things through perhaps more a bit more explicitly. 
than 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 takes place otherwise. And I'm I'm not generally an advocate of more and more reporting, uh, but I think there are areas, and this may be one of them, where the discipline of having to explain to your shareholders or to your external investors why you have decided to allocate the the capital that you have in the way you have and what the the values and assumptions and decisions that underpin that but it might may well be you know very illuminating for both sides actually i'd be interested in knowing you know, if assuming this is going out to an iod audience many uh, company directors asking them do they know what their cost of capital is what, what is your cost of equity capital how do you derive it what is your cost of debt capital what is your weighted average return on and, uh, uh, capital versus your cost of capital, and what is your economic profitability? I would really love to know how many, you know, if if, if people are aware. Of well, this. I'm sure IOD members know all be. of those things, George, obviously. But that's true. I, that's um, I, you're, yeah. you're right, Christ. I I, I I withdraw that observation. But it's an interesting, it's an interesting and fair question. I think. I'm just looking. I think we'll we'll, yeah. we'll start to wind up now. I've I've touched just now about my own experience as a as a regulator, and one of the other areas that we look at in the in the call for evidence that we put out as part of this inquiry is the impact of uh, not just regulation directly but, but what you might call public policy interventions or activities so things like you know, directors legal duties uh, recommendations or requirements set out in governance codes or the listing rules or other things this you may not have an answer to this and then it's quite happy to say quite quite okay to say no if, that is, but are there any things that you can think of that regulators or, or uh, government departments or others could do that might help to stimulate uh, companies' desire or ability to innovate that could be done in a way that wouldn't have an adverse impact on the interests of shareholders or stakeholders? Because this, this is, I ask, because this is um, one of the questions we pose in the, uh, the call for evidence. So. The, I mean, you know, the issue, I think you always have to be cautious about, you know, encouraging about regulation where it's needed, but cautious about, you know, when, cautious about it when it doesn't. And I guess the first question I would say is usually, and you're the former regulator, I'm not, but I mean, is there market failure here? I mean, that's what that's what regulation is often brought in to solve. There's there's a problem here. I'm I'm not sure, you know, may, maybe it's I'm sure it's not as the, the, you know all of this isn't as good as it could be. But I mean, what 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 problem is it that regulation would, would be seeking to solve? And and I could envisage some potentially ham-fisted uh, attempts to get at something like that, which could potentially <clears throat> backfire. And I think sometimes when you get into something that, again, the concepts of uh, innovation, culture, independence, it's, 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 you can't mandate that stuff. I mean, you know, you can, you can write all the laws or regulations you want, but it's ultimately a cultural issue. And I'm not sure to what extent regulatory bodies can can make that happen unto itself. I mean, uh, disclosure, I think, is possibly the most clear version. I mean, you, you've heard me about my point about capital allocation, which is a related but tangent issue. It does speak to companies needing to be in a position to defend how they, how and why they, you know, invest in or not invest in innovation or other other types of discretionary uses of capital. I think that that could be a very important way to get this type of conversation develop, but I would be wary about anything too prescriptively, unless there are things like tax breaks, certain types of things, but, you know, expending that, that, you know, but I'm sure that stuff is considered in a public policy context all the time. Yeah, no, I, th I think that's, I mean, I should just said when I pose the question, we, we don't have a presumption that there is anything 
that could be done or, or needs to be done is it's an open question. We have certainly seen some efforts to to try and address this, which uh, I'm not sure reflected a sort of full understanding of the issues. For example, some of the, the loosening of listing rule requirements around the voting and free float and other things, which were at least partly intended to encourage uh, more high tech, high growth companies to to list, but to date yeah. haven't really had that in impact. It seems. Uh, and, and the Treasury are certainly looking at some of the aspects that you touched on there about uh, tax and so on, no, no promises or no, no clear recommendations to be made, but they are looking at the general uh, tax treatment and broader broader issues around capital raising at the moment. So we'll we'll look out for that and, and we may see something interesting coming out of coming out of the Treasury at some point later. Well, just a final year. shot and I, I just a final point on that, because I, I actually hadn't thought about the, the issue of, of relating to the, the dual class shares point. Uh, and I, I personally think that's a very I, that's a very cynical move that's being <clears throat> dressed up by regulators to make look make it look better than it really is. This is not a uh, is not a it's not a panacea or a solution for solving the innovation problem. And I'm afraid it's being dressed up to suggest that. And in fact, I think it can create far worse problems in the in not even in the long term in the medium term with regard to entrenchment and lack of accountability to to not only the shareholders but to really anybody as a whole so you know th that is a type of market response to innovation which the investor community would certainly discourage right thank you for that also that's a nice clear firm statement nice on finish, i think so we'll we'll draw things to a close there thanks very much for your the time today has been very interesting to get your take on some of the issues that we're looking at and uh, a clear understanding of how, as you emphasise, not all, but at least some investors are are thinking about these issues um, linked to strategy and culture, which is, as I said, something that's coming through very strongly in our our conversation with companies as well. So thanks again for your your time. Uh, thank you, everybody, for, for listening. Hope you found it interesting. If you'd like to find out more about the inquiry and how you can contribute, you can do so by going to the center's website, which is www.iod-cfcg.com. You'll find the call for evidence paper that I talked about and with details of how you can submit any comments. And we're keen to hear from as many of you as we possibly can. We'll be having another podcast in this series in early August. So we hope to see you then. Uh, until then, all the best and thanks once again to George. Thank you, Chris.